Well, please keep, um, please keep um, the Bible, your Bibles open um, to check that what I'm saying is from the, from the Word. Um, but if you'll remember what's happened so far in the book of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians is that Paul has started this heartwarming wel- um, welcome and thanksgiving for this church in Philippi. He is grateful for them. They are partnering in the gospel with him. They are a church that he is grateful for. And he starts with a thanksgiving prayer for them. Then he inspires them to give a Christ-centered vision of what it means to live for that and live like that. And then he calls them to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he illustrates that in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, that hymn that we see where Jesus emptied himself, made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, He relinquished and did not grasp at what was rightfully his. He gave it up for you and for me. That is the centerpiece of this letter. But then last week we looked at what it means to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That our salvation has been worked for us. It has been given to us. If we believe in Jesus, we have our salvation. It is secure, but we are called also to work it out with fear and trembling And I loved this last week, that we saw that, how do we do that? Minute by minute, hour by hour, living for other people. Putting other people's needs in front of our own. And we shine like stars brightly in the sky to those that don't know Jesus by not arguing or grumbling. But we saw last week that our greatest gospel um, model, and our our greatest, um, what am I trying to say here? Example, our greatest witness is through not grumbling or arguing. And before we move on, I, I, I was really um, what's the word? Um, convicted um, last week following the sermon that I told a story of a gentleman who comes in every day and into the cafe and every day will groan specifically about or moan about something specifically to do with his order when there's nothing really wrong with it. And when I got home that night, Nikki gently said to me, Dan, you do know you're like that guy. Not in a... We we are... Yes. um, We're all like that guy. We grumble when our butter's not on the right side of the bread. I've done that. When it's... Yeah, flip it over. Um, We we grumble when our... our, We'd love our house to be three foot wider. Um, We grumble when our car doesn't work. We grumble about the smallest things, don't we? So I was convicted of that and I wanted to, rather than just <laughs> say this guy that moans, I'm like that as well. We're all like that. And, and so we just wanted, to, we talked about how we want to be, don't be grumblers. Not argue. Let's shine brightly as stars as we, as we are different than the rest of the world, than the culture that is around us. With that aside though, we come to the next part of Paul's letter. It, it really looks like an itinerary of travel plans. It kind of breaks up the letter, doesn't it? It's, it's what, what Paul's going to do, what Timothy's going to do, and what Epaphroditus is going to do. And I don't know about you, that I don't always enjoy chatting about people's travel plans. I mean, unless you're going on a fantastic holiday, so I'm very much looking forward to hearing about the Coxpills' time away. But there's some travel plans I'm not interested about. How did you get to London? I don't want to know if you got the bus or you got the train or whatever. I'm not that particularly interested. But So why is Paul doing that here? 
Why is Paul breaking up this wonderful letter with some travel plans of what he's going to be doing? And I think there's two reasons. Firstly, and quickly, I think really what he's doing is just communicating to the church what his plans are, what Timothy's plans are, and what Epaphroditus' plans are, so they know what to expect. They didn't have phones back then, so they couldn't communicate very easily, so letter was the way in which they did that. But specifically today, what we're going to look at is the second reason, which is, I think, that what Paul is doing, he's giving some concrete examples of what it means to live out a life worthy of the gospel. Two examples of people that, um, in Epaphroditus and Timothy, that really, really, really do live lives that are worthy of the gospel, that really, really, really do live their lives minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, as examples of that hymn that we see in verses 5 to 11 of Jesus' humility. And we saw last week also that we, we talked about how we learn more through seeing people's lives than being taught it from the front, don't we? We see, when we see people model what it means to be obedient to, and to love other people, we catch that more than we would than being taught it. And here we see two wonderful examples of people that I want us to really learn from, that I've learned from this week. Um, people that live lives worthy of the gospel, people that work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, people that are other people-centered, love others, people that live a life that is joy-filled, people that know what it means to live a life that makes us more human. And we saw that last week, didn't we? That actually living a life for other people is what makes us more human than living for ourselves. When we live for ourselves, that is actually not living as we're meant to be, not living of what we were made to be, but living for other people, living for Jesus first and foremost, and then living for other people is what makes us more fully human and where joy is found. And I found this a helpful acronym. Joy. J, a life lived for Jesus first and foremost. O, a life lived for others. And then Y, a life, well, not live for yourself, but then for yourself. Quite helpful, isn't it? A life lived for Jesus, a life lived for others, and then yourself. We're all looking for the, the secret to a joyful life, aren't we? And here's the secret. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. These are two people in Timothy and Epaphroditus that really know what it means to be those sort of people. And so Paul's commending them to us. So let's learn from them today. And we're going to look at Timothy's example first of all. And first of all, we see um, Timothy's compassion on display here. If you look at verse 20 and 21 with me. Paul says, I have no one else like him, no one else like Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Everyone else looks out for their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. What a claim that is to make, isn't it? Paul says, I've got no one like Timothy. No one like him. Can you imagine if you were someone, I know there's not necessarily anyone else in the cell with him, but people that are around him, visiting him and trying to comfort him and help him in his imprisonment. And then he says in a letter, no one's like Timothy. You'd be like, that's a little bit harsh, isn't it? What about me? But Paul said, no, 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 no. Nobody else is like Timothy. No one else around him is like him. They still look to their own interests, but Timothy has a genuine concern for others, a genuine compassion for others, a genuine concern for others. And it's, it's that sort of person that when they say they're going to pray for you, 
you know they're going to pray for you. How many times have you said, I'll pray for you in that, I'll pray for you in that, and then don't follow through with it? I hold my hands up there. Sometimes I can do that. But, but Paul's genuine, uh, Timothy's genuinely concerned for other people. It's a beautiful thing to have, isn't it? A genuine concern for others. And you love being around those people that genuinely are thinking about you and caring for you. And you see what Paul, I think, is doing? Paul is, is trying to um, prepare the congregation to listen to his faithful son, Timothy. That's what he's doing. You know that there's oppression going on in the church in Philippi at the moment. There's, there's pressure from the outside that's causing pressure on the inside of the church, some disunity. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you can listen to this guy. He is trusted. He has compassion. He, he has genuine concern for you and your situation. He's got a genuine concern for Christ first and foremost, and then he's got a concern for you and the unity that's between you guys in the church. He's the type of guy that you should listen to. He's the type of guy that's going to lead you through this difficulty. I was at a conference just um, about 10 days ago. And it was about an organisation who's had some high-profile problems with its leadership over the last few years. And there was a group of pastors there. And they were asked the question, we were asked the question, um, what do we want the organisation to look like now? What do you want it to do? What do you want it to be? And after about an hour of discussion around the tables... Um, we were asked to share openly, and one guy stood up and said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said this. He said, at the heart of what we need to do, before we even talk about what we want the organisation to do, we need to stop putting forward these impressive, dynamic, alpha male personalities, and we need to look at what it means to be a true biblical leader. We need to look to Jesus. And he said this, we need to look at someone that's gentle and lowly, like Jesus was. There was just a hum of approval around the room. It's the, the same when I was teaching. I worked for a number of head teachers, and two of the most successful head teachers I worked for in the short term were guys that came in, big personalities, pushy, made a big impact, but two years later left a huge trail of destruction behind them. One head teacher that took over from them sat us down in his office and said, oh, I've been doing some training on how to be a good leader, and I've heard this thing about servantile leadership think we should be servant leaders. And I had to chuckle a bit and I thought, I wonder where they came, came up with that from. But, but what kind of leader do you follow? What kind of leader do we look to? Compassionate servant leaders who are following Christ like Timothy? Or do we look to the big celebrity, the big personality person? We want to listen to the type of leaders that are compassionate, servant-hearted, that we hear their hearts, we watch their lives, and we see that they are for real. And if you become a leader, become this type of leader. And I think it's right. I, I want to say, I can honestly say that I feel blessed that in, part, in this church, our GC leaders, our ministry leaders, the two other elders are genuinely compassionate people who don't look to their own interests, but look to the interests of others. We should celebrate them. Thank God for them and pray for leaders like that, compassionate. People have a genuine concern for other people that we learn from Timothy. But also we see, secondly, we see his compassion. Sorry, we see uh, Timothy's companionship. We see his companionship in verses 22 to 24. What a wonderful friend he was to Paul. What a great friend he was to Paul. 
Paul's bigged him up, bigged up his character and said, what an amazing guy Timothy is. And then he says in verse 22, he says, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He is a Paul's spiritual son. What praise to give. If you read Paul's letters to Timothy, the two letters he writes to Timothy, he calls him my true child in the faith. Truly loves him because of the great companion that he's been. And they're on the same mission together, advancing the gospel. And Paul's aim is to send him back to the Philippians. That's his aim. He needs him for now, but he, does, he is going to send him back. But, Paul, but Timothy is a treasured companion to Paul. And what makes him such a good friend? Well, I think what makes him such a good friend is that he was someone that was willing to serve and willing to care for Paul. Do we have friends like that? Do we have friends that are going to be with us through the thick and the thin? Are we friends like that? I found this helpful when, when just looking through this passage, that we see that Timothy is a friend that is present, that he's there with Paul in his time of need. He's a, he's a companion that strengthens him in his weakness. He's a friend that provides support. He's a friend that partners with him for the sake of the gospel. What a friend! What a friend to do that, to give up, to go and be with Paul in his need. But also, I also think that Timothy would have been a friend that would speak the truth in love, that would say to Paul what needs to be said. That is a friend that we truly want, isn't it? Someone that is going to speak the truth to us, even when it's hard to do that. We all like to be patted on our back, don't we, when even in our sin? You're going, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's fine. But actually, a friend that is willing to talk to us and speak truth to us in our sin and point it out to us is a true and great friend. They're like gold dust. Proverbs 27 says this, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If you have a friend like this, I want you to praise God for them now. A friend that is willing to go through the dark times and the hard times with you. A friend that is there with you. Friend that is willing to speak the truth in love. But are you that type of friend? Is that the type of friend that you aspire to be to other people? Because we know that friendship is a two-way process, isn't it? It's not just take, take, take. It's also give. Are we that type of friend to people? But what I love about this as well is that Paul is willing to send this greatest of companions to the (laughs) Philippian church for the good of them. He's willing to lose his spiritual son, give him away for the sake of others, for their good. So when you read these words, I think we can read it with Paul with a sense of pain as he writes this. I will send him to you soon. I need him now, but I will send him to you. Paul's need seems great in prison, but he sees their need as even greater than his. And this struck me, really, thinking about how sometimes we may need to let our friends Go and be friends for other people for the sake of the gospel. I was just thinking about when we planted Second City, when the Deerings, Andy Lee and the Copestakes left, how hard it was to say goodbye to these wonderful and great friends. And they're still friends, but they've got to go and be these type of friends to other people in other parts of the city. And we've had to release them and say, maybe we can't be as close as we were in the same way because you've got other people to go and be friends with for the good of the gospel are the people that we need to release from the expectation of what we have of them. 
for the good of advancing the gospel. We see that Timothy was compassionate and the most wonderful of friends and companions to Paul. Things that we can emulate. Not seeing his own um, important, seeing others as more important than himself. And then we see this also true of Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. We're just going to look at a few things on Epaphroditus and his example. Well, firstly, we see the type of man that he was in verse 25, that Paul calls him some impressive names. He calls him a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, and a messenger. I mean, some great things to be called, aren't they? And Paul starts by calling him his brother. We don't even know how well Paul knew Epaphroditus. There's thoughts that he didn't even make it on the journey to give the money over to Paul that he was sending on behalf of the Philippian church, and that others had to take it on his behalf the rest of the way. But Paul still calls him a brother, because he is a brother in Christ. As Kenny shared earlier, our Ukrainian brother in Christ, we don't know him, we've never met him before, but he is our brother. If we know and love Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, with a whole world of brothers and sisters. Christ across the whole world and I think what deepens their bonds specifically is the fact that they're both suffering Epaphroditus is near death on, on, the, on his mission of taking money to Paul and Paul is suffering in prison praise God for brothers and sisters in Christ who go through hard times with us that sit with us in those hard times Support us. And that deepens our bond, doesn't it? And which brothers or sisters in Christ do you want to thank God for walking through hard times with you? It's good to thank people. It's good to say thank you during that difficult time. That was hard and you were there for me. Thank you so much. I know I've shared this story before, but um, when myself, when Evan was getting ill quite a lot when he was younger going into hospital and we were on holiday in the middle of nowhere in Wales and we ended up having to get an ambulance to take him to hospital some an hour and a half away, um, I had to travel to keep on visiting the hospital or pay for a hotel room, which we couldn't afford to do. And within 10 minutes of letting someone in this church know that where we were and what had happened, within 10 minutes of that text going out, a gentleman turned up at the hospital to take me back to his house and say, you can come and stay with us. His name was Aaron. He was a Baptist minister. Four days before, his wife had just had a baby in the same, holiday, in the same hospital um, their fourth child, and yet they made room for myself while Nikki stayed at the hospital. And what a deep bond, I have to say, we made through that time. I'm so grateful to him. But I didn't know him. Never met him before, never heard of him before. But he was a true brother in Christ. We too, I'm sure, have got experiences like that that we can thank people for. So can I encourage you to, this week, why not send a text of thanks, remembering for those friends that have been through those hard times with you brother or a sister in Christ. But I love this. Paul also calls him a co-worker. Paul's this, the leading apostle to the Gentiles, and yet he calls Epaphroditus this seemingly nobody, really, in, in, the, in the world's eyes, just delivering some money on behalf of the church. But he calls him a co-worker. There's no, with Paul, there is no different differentiation between the role that someone plays. He's a fellow laborer. It may look different what he's doing, but he's a fellow laborer for the sake of the gospel on the same mission. Praise God for those who labor with us in a different way for the good of the gospel. 
just thinking about Chris Fletcher and Nadim, our mission partners, who are um, our co-workers in other parts of the world, well, Nadim in another part of the city, Chris over in Romania. We're going to hear from them next week in some videos that we have. Just encouraged by the fact that there are so many people laboring for the gospel in different ways that we know no one's more important than the other. I love that Paul has that humbling kind of, everyone's on the same level. He calls him a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister. But wouldn't these words, wouldn't these words be wonderful words that I would want to have on my tombstone? So Nikki, just to let you know, this is what I want on my tombstone, if they're true. A brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister. I can't think of any better words that you'd want to have the end of our life so we see the type of person that he was but we also see the type of love that he displayed so in verse 26 look at that with me please it says for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill Epaphras is sick near death and yet we don't hear any self-pity from him he's not saying oh I don't feel very well someone please go and get me some cowpole like when I'm ill People know about it. A text will probably go out on church week to the whole, to the whole collective to say, I've got a cold. Can you please get me some cowpole or something? But, but there's none of that from, from Epaphroditus. It says, in fact, Paul says that he's distressed. He's worried about the Philippian church, that they're worried about him. The same word for distressed, the Greek word is used to describe how Jesus was feeling when he was in the garden with Gethsemane before he went cross, the anguish he had before going to the cross. Epaphroditus had anguish and distress at other people being worried about him. What a great example of being other person-centered, even, in the, in, even when he's not feeling very well. How quickly we are sometimes to turn in on ourselves. And sometimes that's right when we're not very well, but also we can still look out for other people. And be concerned for them. But I think what particularly stood out for me this week, this final bit, the type of welcome that Paul believed that he deserved. Look at verse 28 to 30 with me. It says this, Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Paul's eager to send Epaphroditus back because Paul doesn't want to worry anymore. The church at Philippi don't need to worry if Epaphroditus goes back and then Epaphroditus won't worry that they're worrying about him if you can follow that. Um, It's a bit of a mouthful. And this is amazing. Even though Epaphroditus wasn't anyone particularly special, had most likely failed at his mission at actually delivering what he was supposed to deliver and had to send someone else to do it. Paul says there should be joy, love, peace, but also, most importantly, honour. Honour him. He's risked his life to make up what was lacking, uh, to to help you yourselves, so he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. He labored on other people's behalf and he nearly died and he deserves a Christ-like welcome. And I just find it really refreshing that it's, it's normally the famous, the powerful, 
the influential that are commended, aren't they? Paul wants to commend the unassuming, the lay person, the humble, the sacrificial person. That's who Paul thinks we should honour. It's exactly what Jesus teaches. The greatest honour is among his followers, belongs to the one who renders lowliest service. Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool football manager, five years ago or so, took over a struggling Liverpool football team who hadn't won the league for 30 years. And the story goes that he gathered the first team together at their, I think it's Carrington, the training ground, and got all the staff there and sat them down and asked the first team to name every person in the room. And they couldn't name them. They couldn't even name a few of them. He asked them, you need, uh, what about the canteen staff? What about the cleaners? What about the secretaries? And they couldn't name them. The story goes that Klopp stood up and said, every member of the first team needs to know every single name of the people that work for Liverpool Football Club. They need to know their family names. They need to get to know the cleaners, the secretaries, all the unsung heroes, the people that have been there for 30 years, that have been there far longer than the players have been and will be there far longer than the players will be there. Jürgen Klopp wanted them to honour the unsung heroes. It wasn't about them. The club was much bigger than that. And that changed the whole culture of the football club. And that's what they put down to. The biggest thing that has made the hugest impact on Liverpool Football Club is that culture change, honouring the least of these. And now look at Liverpool, one of the best teams in the world. See, the Christian life should be one of honouring one another. Obviously, ultimate honour goes to Jesus Christ, first and foremost. But we too can appreciate the hard work of those who build up the Christ church. Because the church has always been sustained and enriched and built up by unsung heroes. And so I want you to turn, please, to Romans 16 in your Bibles, page 1142 of the church Bibles. <clears throat> I'm gonna re- <clears throat> I was going to get other people to read it because there's so many names in here that I can't pronounce, so... I'll say them with confidence. That means they must be how you say it. Let's listen, let's, let's listen to this. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sencre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at our house, their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those two women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Greet 
those people and the other brothers and sisters with them. <clears throat> Greek <clears throat> Philologus, Julius, Nerus and his sister and, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Brother, <clears throat> mother, sisters, co-worker, servant, worked very hard. This is not a list of all the apostles and what they did. This is a list of the unsung heroes, the missionaries, the servants who make Sundays happen. And so this is to the GC leaders who for years have served their groups, those who set up the chairs on a Sunday every, every Sunday morning, those who do the AV every week, those who teach our children downstairs the way of the Lord, those who volunteer quietly in the cafe on a Saturday or during the week, <clears throat> those who don't grumble or argue, argue but offer peace. We honour you and we thank you for the way that you have served in a Christ-like way, this church family. See, we all have an important part to play and it's important that we honour one another and we thank one another and encourage one another. And so, can I encourage you this week, reach out to people that you know selflessly serve this church. Maybe some other churches that you know they serve in a selfless way. Encourage them. Speak, show them that you see Christ-likeness in them. Spur them on in their faith. Thank you and honour them for what they do. This is not about the impressive, or the impressive, able what else are the characteristics? Um, people that's necessary, or the people that myself who preach, or anything like that. This is this is about all of us. This is about people that serve servant-heartedly, like Epaphroditus, like Timothy. Let us show compassion, like Timothy. Let us be a companion, like Timothy. Let us be a person, like Epaphroditus. Let us honour one another and people like Epaphroditus that we see serving servant-heartedly in our churches. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the way in which you use all of us to build up your church. Thank you for the selfless work of many in this room that for years have given given themselves over to serving you and serving others. We want to honour them We want to say thank you for them. Thank you for the way in which you have grown Christ-likeness in them. And I pray that you would continue to grow that in us. Continue to grow us into people that find joy in the service of others. Let us not look to our own needs, but to the needs of others. Father, I pray that we would honour one another well, first and foremost, Jesus Christ, but we would also be quick to honour one another. To thank those that, that want to serve in a Christ-like way. And Lord, I pray that you would grow compassion in us for one another. I pray that you would grow um, us as being great friends, great companions to one another. Lord, let us celebrate those that have been there through the hard and the dark times with us. Just think now of what's going on um, in the Ukraine, Lord. We, we pray um, 
we pray that for brothers and sisters in Christ to get together, to come together through this hardship and this difficulty. We pray that you would deepen friendships, that you would really teach them what it means to love and care for one another. Lord, we pray protection over the church in Ukraine now. We know that even through persecution and difficulty, that's where the church grows and thrives. And so, Lord, we, we by no means want this to be happening, but, Lord, we pray that as an outworking of this, that good would come through your church and you be made great and made known. We Thank you for the humble servants that there are in the churches in Ukraine. unsung heroes that we may not have never hear of. Of course, we know that our ultimate reward is in heaven. Lord, pray you'd help us. You'd help the church in Ukraine look heavenwards. Pray protection over them. We're going to finish by um, responding in song. Nick is going to lead us through a time. Of